I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. This episode is brought to you by Fiamma Pizza e Vino, located on Buffalo Road in Gates, and their new location, Fiamma Centro, located on Elton Street in the neighborhood of the Arts. The new location is now open five days a week, Wednesday through Sunday for dinner. I really, I love the design of the new place. The pizza is just as good as ever. And if you want to check out, you know, true pizza passion in action, go to either the original location in Gates or check out the new location on Elton Street in the neighborhood of the arts. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. In episode 60 of the Food About Town podcast, I talked with Jason Barrett and Luke Thiers from Black Button Distilling. Jason was one of the first guests I had on the Food About Town podcast. We recorded in the empty space that is now the Black Button Tasting Room. And now they've been open for over three years. So it was great to catch up with Jason, go through the ups and downs of starting a distillery from scratch. And we also got to taste through a good portion of their current uh, portfolio of, of spirits. And it was great to taste everything now versus when it originally started. And... Luke was able to throw in a few cocktail ideas, and we went through some tasting notes. We had a really good time, and I hope you go out and check out the tasting room over on Railroad Street near the public market. They're a great local business, uh, the first, first distillery open in Rochester since Prohibition. So go check them out. Again, Railroad Street near the public market, and hope you enjoy. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it out on social media. You can find me at Stromy on Twitter or Instagram or Food About Town on Facebook. Thanks for listening. started and it's stupid it's 5 45 and it's pitch blackout no super moon today so it's actually dark and and actually the, the name of the people i'm dealing with we've got we've got blackness in the name as well why don't you introduce yourselves gentlemen i'm jason barrett the head distiller for black button distilling oh i like the bass in the voice today jay bum 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 it's sounding good it's got a good voice for radio and who do we have over here and a face for radio <laughs> Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) I am uh, Luke Thiers. I am the newly minted brand ambassador for Black Button Distilling. Say, I I always struggle to remember all of your titles. They're they're very grandiose. Yeah, yeah, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I believe Protector of the Realm (laughs) and the Lord of the Seven Kingdoms is in there. I I, I imagine it would be. Yeah, those are set to get added on after a year of employment. Let's tack on. (laughs) Extra business cards. Keep, uh, Keep those guys in business printing more cards for you. So... 
one of the first podcasts I did, and this was got almost three years ago. Yeah. Uh, one of the first podcasts I did was with with Jason Barrett in the prototype in in the in the empty building where the now you know cornerstone of the Rochester distilling scene, Black Button Distilling is located. This was when there was nothing there. We had a forklift. You did have a forklift, which is where we recorded the podcast, was on a forklift. Because we didn't have a table to nope. put the mics on. There was, there was no table. I don't think there was an office yet. Nope. And I, th- I think there was really almost nothing there. Yeah, no, you had to come in through the dock because we hadn't cut the door in yet. Did I jump onto the dock? Yep. Yeah, which, that was that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and from there, I mean, we're, we're three years in now. Yeah. And... That's kind of what we're here to talk about today is, I mean, it's been a lot of stuff in between when we did that and now. Yeah. And obviously you and I have talked in between here and there. Yeah, we run into some of the same circles. Yeah. So People who like to eat. People like to eat. People <laughs> like to drink. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty cool place to be here in Rochester right yes. now. And so we're going to do some tasting today because, awesome. because the guys are here mm-hmm. and... And we, we, we should talk about the briefcase you brought this in for a second. <laughs> because one, it's it's an old school briefcase with the you know, the number dials. Yeah. I remember my dad having. Yep. And um so where did this brief, one come from? This briefcase is a little different than most. <laughs> it's uh it's about nineteen inches tall, about eight inches wide, and twenty four inches long. And uh, so figure a, a small suitcase more than a uh, briefcase. But what's interesting is that it's actually out of the button factory that all of this is named after. It's my grandfather's sample bag when he would go around and take buttons on cards to show his clients. So uh, when I started the distillery, I was you know trying to figure out what to carry the, the sample bottles in. And it just happened that our bottles fit perfectly into this particular uh into this particular briefcase, so I like to bring him along with me as I as I go throughout my day. And it really it, it shows its age in the best possible way. Yeah, it's been around a little bit in the <laughs> way in the way that good leather you know only looks better with age, and it it's not falling apart and it, it looks fantastic. So. May you look as good as this uh, briefcase <laughs> when you are its age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I want to take a step back and talk about. I mean, you launched three years ago, and you you launched with unaged products exclusively. Yep. Because I'm not sure if everybody understands this. You can't age products fast. Not and have them be good. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of one of those things. They can be good, they can be fast, or they can be cheap. And they, I guess, can be, you know, you can't have all three. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you started, with, you started with, your, with your wheat vodka. You started with a gin. And that was really the start. And the unaged corn whiskey. And the una- unaged corn whiskey. The 100 is proof moonshine. So we, we have since retired two of those three products. Yep. Um, but the gin is still going strong. And, uh, and we've got some other, uh, some other members of the family at this point. I do see that. Yeah. So we got, we, we got a couple different things behind us. Yeah. So today I brought with us, we've got our 20 plate vodka, which replaced the wheat vodka, citrus forward gin, still one of those originals. Our uh, four grain bourbon, which we've actually been making since the company got founded, but given that aging takes quite a while. Uh, our bourbon cream, and our and then two of our seasonals. I brought our Manhattan style fernet, and our to be released this Friday, port finished single barrel barrel strength straight bourbon. Say that. 10 there, there, there's a lot of consonants in there, and that's that's the one I'm really excited about. Yep. Um, because I know I know you've been working on it. It's kind of your Right now, your signature 
signature product. Yes. Yeah, it's it's our I mean our bourbon is what caused me to start the company. Port finished bourbon um at barrel strength is sort of the magnum opus, the the Mona Lisa, the you know, it's, it's what you've been star. working towards. <laughs> yeah. It's the product I've wanted to make since I decided I was going to do this crazy thing with my life. And so it comes out on Friday. Yeah, which <laughs> one that's got to be exciting. Yeah. And I really hope people show up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. Well, I think I think for the for in a, in a really good way. I mean, the response to Black Button has been pretty strong since the beginning. It's been actually overwhelming. Uh, I mean, one of the things most people don't know is that the original blueprints included a pool table in the middle of the tasting room because we thought we would need something to do while we waited for people to swing by. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't have money for the pool table because there would now not be any room for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, at, at this point, three years later, uh, we have 29 people on staff. We cover 15 states. Uh, we're making about 100,000 bottles a year and just trying to keep on top of it all. I mean, that's that's a testament to not only you growing the brand and with you know with people coming on just to grow the brand like Luke, but 29 people being employed here in Rochester. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a testament to what the state has done by opening up opening up the laws again for people to to have distilleries and have breweries. Yeah. Um you guys on you guys are on one of the farm on the, one of the farm things, correct? Yes, we are a farm distillery. We're one we use one hundred percent New York grown products uh to make our things. And and really you're right, Chris. I mean, ten years ago it would not have been possible to have Black Button um, mostly because the licensing fee used to be $60,000 a year every year wow. just to open your doors as a distillery. Uh, the state figured out pretty quickly that uh, if you dropped that to $1,500 a year and just tax <laughs> the hell out of every single bottle, there's a few people that are crazy enough to go into business doing it, and you actually make more money off of them by charging us per bottle than by having the high fixed fee. Well, and it scales. I mean, yep. in, 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 it's kind of the kind of the way of doing this kind of thing nowadays with you know what what Colorado and what all the other states are doing in now Oregon with, and California with legalized yep. marijuana I mean they're they're making money on the taxes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, New York State's making money on the taxes off of you guys yep. off of all the farm breweries which have popped up yep and it, it's been kind of a boon for our local for our local growth of these industries yeah well Rochester is a very food smart town it has a deep food culture we're right on top of the Finger Lakes, so we appreciate great beverage. We've got a long-standing history of great beverage in this town from Rohrbach Brewing Company, bringing uh, you know their products to market for the last twenty-five years. And All your the, next-door neighbors, they are also our landlord. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the public market's the largest outdoor farmers market on the East Coast. Rochester is just an incredibly food-smart town. I mean, are there are there other places where you could have had the incubator for a place like Wegmans? I mean, in in many ways, did Wegmans make us the food smart town that we are? I think we yeah. have a lot of folks to thank for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's that's the other thing. I mean, when you talk about the public market, it's been so popular over and only grown in more grown in popularity over the last five to ten years mm-hmm. that it continues to expand. I yeah. mean, oh, you, parking you guys, is a nightmare. You, <laughs> you guys are right Which over in awesome. the area, and I mean, I know you've seen it grow over the last few years because you've been bouncing back and forth, Luke, between Rochester and other areas of the country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it seemed for a while, every time I came back, Rochester in itself got a little bit bigger and more interesting, and the public market also a sort of microcosm of that. Um, and now working down the street from it, you can definitely see the changes. That have well, happened and, over the past and that's the other years. thing. I mean, like, we we kind of all saw it 
grow gradually and you saw more and more people show up every year and now now you see the the restaurants showing up you know, you've got you got beautiful restaurants in the public market area. Yep. Rohrbach has expanded. You see a new Josh Miles property opening up right down the street from you guys. Yeah. And I mean that whole area, I mean, we we've seen it grow gradually. Uh it's kind of kind of be interesting to see it from the in and out of town and see it pop here and there. Yeah, yeah. I mean it it got me back here <laughs> for one thing. Uh I started to feel like I was really missing out on all the great changes that were happening in this town, even though I got to be back here frequently. So, as you know, I was in Buffalo over the winter, um, which got me out here every week to see my family. Um, and I just realized the restaurant and bar scene here is really happening. Like, I want to be a part of this. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Buffalo's growing in leaps and bounds. They kind of kicked off some of this stuff, some of the cocktail scene in Buffalo and like a Vera Pizzeria. And then yep. we kind of jumped in. You know, we had we had people around the same time with – Good luck in Cheshire, which mm-hmm. I know you you guys are all very familiar with. Oh yeah, yes. I know you, you actually did something really cool with Good Luck recently, didn't you? We did, we did. It's uh, so it's the only time that we've ever made a all malt peated whiskey. Uh, most people are familiar with calling all malt peated whiskey Scotch, but since we're not in Scotland, it can't be Scotch. It's an all malt peated whiskey, mm-hmm. and uh, and we had it brewed at a local brewery, and then we distilled it down. And then we put it into uh, five-gallon barrels, our used bourbon barrels from our very first run of bourbon. And then we stuck those barrels right behind the still. And over two years, they were heated up every day and cooled down every night and heated up every day and cooled down every night. Wow. And when we finally opened them up after about two years, they, um, they were less than half full. So we only ended up getting 42 bottles. You want to talk about small batch. We wow. made 42 bottles of all-malt whiskey. Um, peated all malt whiskey, and uh, and Good Luck was the only place you could get it. Uh, we didn't even sell it in the tasting room. You had to go there and try it in a drink, and it was fantastic. It was outstanding. So I mean, what I mean, that's another great creative thing to do. I mean, there's so many opportunities, and obviously you can't name it the same thing, but it's kind of like champagne. Just because it has the you know the name cachet to it, doesn't mean there aren't great sparkling wines around the world. Yep. Yep. Um, and it's the same thing. There's no reason we can't try stuff like that. There's no reason we can't be creative. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, look look what's happening in Japan with their whiskey. You know, they, they might be <clears> making better, and here come the air quotes, you can't see them, but quote-unquote scotch in Japan yeah. than in Scotland right now. Yeah, I mean, if anything, the, the, somewhat the worldwide opinion on the, the Japanese single malts is that if anything, they're too good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're I mean... We're, I'm going to stereotype here for a second, but I think the, you know the Japanese culture is very obsessed with perfectionism. Yes, and they really respect the products that they enjoy to a really high level. I mean, when they get into scotch or you know peated whiskeys, they go in all they go in all out, and they do it as obsessively and dedicated as they can. Yeah, I think and the seen attention that, to detail is unparalleled. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we've seen that in coffee and on in electronics and all sorts of things. Yeah. When they love something, they really go into it heavy. Yep. So it's kind of an exciting thing when you try these products. And it many of them at actually very reasonable prices. I mean, like, you know, a Habiki whiskey, very reasonable price. Yeah. And a yeah. very tasty product. Yeah. Um, but so switching back. So you had you've had that. And mm-hmm. I think the hallmark of what Black Button has been since you guys opened has been creative. Uh, I think there's been you guys have pushed a lot of products through. If I if I was allowed, I would make a new product every month, but my sales reps would kill me and the <laughs> liquor stores would kill me. So we actually, uh, interestingly enough, we have ten products out right now, 
and we are in the process of scaling that back to six. Um, so we are still going to do our seasonals, but we're going to start doing smaller runs of those. Uh, don't get me wrong, lilac gin's still going to come out in the spring. Sure, but um, but we're going to come back to you know six core products and then seasonal offerings, sort of the way the craft breweries do it. Um, and so we we kind of want to refocus on that. Uh, just so we can focus our branding and focus our message on again some of those those key products for us. Well, I think it makes sense. I mean, it's it's focusing. You don't want to be overextended by trying to do too much. Right now, obviously, as you guys were starting, being creative, putting out a lot of different products, sort of helped you guys continue to be relevant while you're waiting for mm-hmm. waiting for bourbon to age. Well, and it, and it's fun. It flexes your creative muscle. You know, we've got things in the warehouse now that are going to come of age in time. We've we've actually done an aged rye whiskey um, that will come out in another year, most likely. We've done a five grain bourbon with Trick to Cali, uh, which is a hybrid between rye and wheat. Uh, so a kind of an interesting spin on our four grain bourbon. Hmm. Uh, we've even done a four grain bourbon with a different mash bill. Uh, and all of these, we've only made two barrels of this, four barrels of that, three barrels of this. Somewhat just to you know be learning things and be flexing our muscle on our equipment, and also just to enjoy the ride. You know, if we're um, you know it, it, we don't necessarily want to make the same thing every day, but also now that we're in 15 states, you know, these 15 keeping up seasonal products in 15 states uh, is a lot more licensing, a lot more regulatory, and we found that our core offering just continues to get better and better. And so if we can really focus our brand around our bourbon, our bourbon cream, our citrus forward gin, and our apple pie moonshine. We've got a key product you know, for each of the four seasons. We hit a variety of price points, a variety of taste structures, and, uh, and it really just seems to be a, a well-rounded portfolio that it's, you know, if, if there were more hours in a day, I would add many more things too, <laughs> but I am I'm coming to realize that I must sleep at least a few hours a day. I think it's generally probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah, probably considering the long run. As much as I want there to be as much weird stuff out there as possible. Yeah, I'm still <laughs> trying to, to with. get used to having Sundays off. That's sort of a new thing. Oh, for nice! Me. Look at you. And most Sunday afternoons, I'm sitting on my couch going stir crazy. Like, <laughs> now what? I did my laundry. Now what? <laughs> well, it's it's kind of got to be nice to you, nice for you, Luke. Now, I mean, and I think I think the the important part to pull out of what Jay was just saying is. You know, focusing on your core and focusing on improving the quality of the products over time, because this is the kind of thing that you can always be improving on. And it it's always scary to me when I hear compatriots, whether it's in beer, wine, spirits, but people that tell me that they they have perfected it, that there's nothing more to learn. Yeah, and that's scary to me. It either says I have not figured out how to do this, or I mean, my my personal feeling is that we should be continuously trying to get better and better every day. Well, and look look at what happens in the beer in the beer side of things. You know, there's a there's a flavor of the month all the time. You know, it's for a while it was Vermont style IPAs, then it's Massachusetts style IPAs, and this and I that. I know that was a thing. Oh, it definitely is a thing, no. Jay. <laughs> I'm I've, I've mostly switched to drinking whiskey, so I am a little out of touch. Yeah, but you know, it's the same kind of thing. You know, something's gonna something's gonna be new. Something's gonna be interesting. Mm-hmm. And, but the important thing is, you know, doing the best you can to keep on improving. And that is, that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask was, so you started putting up bourbon, how far into being open? Uh, We actually made our first run of bourbon our very first month. 
Right. Um, we then didn't make it again for like three months because we were just trying to keep up with the initial demand. Um, but since we got, you know, basically since the company was six months old, we've probably made bourbon every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually spend about <clears throat> half. We we spend about half of our time uh, making products that are going into the warehouse. Which I mean, one really cool because you're getting a diverse suite of things out of there. Mm-hmm. Um. So the first to the f- a cash flow nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> that too. So I mean that that's got to be one of the scariest things about the whole thing is how much inventory you have sitting around. I mean the good news is as they get starting to talk about this bourbon shortage, I am not afraid. I, d- I don't know what the rest <laughs> of you are going to do about this, but I will be fine. We're the, stocked up myself and the six hundred and forty-two barrels of whiskey that are currently aging in the warehouse will be just fine. <laughs> Well, the nice thing, I mean, because you started recently, you you understand where the demand is, and your you know your product is growing as you as you grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but your the first bourbon you actually started selling was what six sixteen months. The very first one, the Little Barrel Bourbon, was yeah. actually only about four months old. Oh, that's right, yeah. I remember that one. Yep. So we did one batch of uh, of Little Barrel Bourbon, um, and it, there was a there was a second quasi batch. Um, that came out when that first batch ran out. But those were very, very young. Uh, it was five-gallon barrels. And um, and five-gallon barrels are an interesting concept. They give you all the color and the sweetness very quickly. Um, but young, very young bourbon, you know, under a year old, tends to be very hot, very aggressive. It hasn't had the time to mellow. And we've really found that that second and third summer that we can get uh, – you know, in the warehouse where the hot days and the cold nights work the whiskey in and out of the wood, the product is considerably better. So after those first 20 barrels, we never made small barrels again. Yeah. Well, I, I think the interesting thing is, I mean, that's got that's one of the lessons. What what other lessons have you learned by, you know, you started selling the the full batch bourbon, what, I think it was like 16 or 18 months, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our current stuff, usually the youngest, so you have to put the youngest barrel on the... Uh, on the bottle, right. and that number still tends to be in that 16- to 18-month range because mm-hmm. our 15-gallon our barrels do come due in about that time frame, especially because we lay down a significant number in the spring and we harvest them in the fall. Okay. So they've gotten two full summers under their belt, even if it's only been 18 months. Interesting. Uh, the average age of the bourbon at this point is well over two years mm-hmm. because those larger barrels that make up the, the standard of the batch uh, are older than that. But uh, but again, you have to put the youngest drop on the bottle, so the whiskey is actually older than it appears. Sure. So what what kind of lessons have you learned as you've been aging as you've been aging bourbon? I mean, uh, all manner of things. We you know we we don't do any artificial aging in our warehouse, but because of the incredibly dry climate in Rochester, we do have to add humidity to our warehouse. Interesting. Um, if we didn't in the January time frame, the wood gets so dry and brittle that the barrels will actually break, and we did unfortunately lose a few. That's bad. Uh, bef- yeah, that's really bad. That's <laughs> sad. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things. You walk into the warehouse, and it smells good most of the time because the whiskey is slowly evaporating. But if it smells too good, there's a problem, <laughs> and you have to go looking for it. Um, so we have we have now got an ultra sophisticated uh, four dollar sprinkler. Um, mounted upside down above the barrels and on a little timer. And every day we water the barrels to uh, the outsides um, in order to keep the humidity level up in the the wintertime. So that's been one of the key things that we've picked up on. That's interesting because that's 
I mean, you don't cons- you never think of Rochester as a low humidity town. Yeah, but in the middle of January, there's no humidity in the air. Absolutely. Yeah, especially when we get every day under freezing for an entire month. That oh was that was a fun <laughs> winter. Uh, yeah, actually, you missed you missed that one, Luke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was in Boston. It wasn't that much better. No, <laughs> so, that's true. It was so cold that first year that the diesels at the farm couldn't turn over and they couldn't send the trucks up to pick up the spent grain <laughs> for the cows. So they sent up a fleet of pickup trucks to pick up the spent grain containers. Well, for anyone that's ever made ice at home, you might have picked up on a small, fun uh, physics problem, which is that if you want to make ice quickly, you actually start with hot water. It's all got to do with the speed of molecular transfer and everything. Well, if we had just pumped out 300 gallons of spent mash at 210 degrees, we put it in a giant plastic tote, put in the back of a pickup truck that's negative five out, and we then drive it an hour down 390 at 65 miles an hour. Oh, it got back to the farm with a 300-gallon ice cube. Oh, my God. It didn't melt till May. <laughs> the cows are just licking it. I want nutrition. <laughs> yeah, we didn't let them go hungry, but it was uh, it was quite a sight. I can imagine. And, yeah, that melting continuously the whole time, yep. that's awesome. Yep. Oh. So we've, we've had quite a bit of fun with stuff like that. Um, I mean, we, other things that we've uh, perfected, um, whether it's the varieties of grain we've tweaked ever so slightly, uh, the size of the kernel of our grind. So we actually use a different screen now than we did originally. Um, we pass the, there's a number of, of grading things that we do now with the corn that we did not do originally, uh, all of which just keeps making slight incremental improvements in the quality of the whiskey that we're putting out. Well, I mean, which, in- you're right. If you don't do that, you you don't want to be stagnant. You want to keep on getting better. Right. And as you, you also get, can't throw the playbook out every two weeks. So <laughs> Also true. Um, and I suppose that, that brings me to my next story. I'm not going to keep on ignoring Luke completely. That's all right. Um, <laughs> I'm having a good time listening to y'all. Which is all that really matters. <laughs> um, but I, I think the other question, so we talked about your, you know, the lessons learned. So what what's what's a, what's a big mistake that you guys have made that you've learned from that you're like, oh, I really wish we hadn't done this, and then we've kind of recovered. Probably the number one mistake that we made, and uh, it's definitely worth talking about, is the very first batch of vodka that we ever put out. I still have it over here. And it makes a fine mantelpiece, and I hope it stays (laughs) sealed, and as a treasure that your children's children may look upon... With glory, I have first first batch uh, first batch black button black button vodka over there. Yep. So um, and so interestingly enough, uh, obviously it was the very first time we'd ever run our own still. I had trained at a number of other distilleries, but we had never run all of our equipment the way we had intended it. Um, it was right before uh, Christmas of 2013, and uh, and we announced on Facebook. You know, we we got the still running. What came off the still was pretty good. We announced to the world that we were going to open on Saturday. And uh, and this was, I mean, we were several months delayed. We were hundreds of thousands of dollars over budget. And, uh, and we announced to the world that we were going to open on Saturday with this vodka. And about two hours later, the still actually broke. We actually melted the cooling lines that went to the product condenser. Ooh. And so I went to Facebook to take off this this event and yet 700 people had already replied. Oh. And oh. so, you know, here was an opportunity to you know, meet the public's expectation to open the Saturday before Christmas to see 700 people see our shop, taste our spirits. 
And so I made the decision that we would push through with a broken still. And, uh, and I, so I made that decision at seven o'clock that night. I stayed up for the next 47 hours straight, oh. hand packing ice into our product condenser <laughs> and Jesus. watching vodka dribble out of our still in the slowest, thinnest line I have ever seen. Oh. Um, what's interesting is that the other issue, besides melting the cooling pipes, was that the thermometers at the top of the still had not been properly calibrated. We had unfortunately assumed that they were showing up correct. When we eventually did recalibrate them, we moved them by almost four degrees. Ooh. Now, that sounds like a lot already, but one of the interesting things is when we now run vodka, our spec is within one-tenth of one degree. So yeah. we won't produce vodka if we're off by more than one-tenth of one degree, and this batch was off by four degrees. Yeah. Basically meaning that this would have been a fantastic white whiskey and was definitely not a good vodka. And, and we're still paying for that. I still have people who that's the only product from us they've ever tasted, and they still punish us for that. And I understand. We only get yeah. one shot for a first impression. Absolutely. I apologize to anyone that, uh, that that was their first impression of us, and I hope they would give us a second chance. Also, we uh, if you still have any of those bottles, you can bring them back and trade them in for a newer batch. First batch <laughs> vodka, we actually will take it back, even if you've opened it. Well, and you know what? It's it, it was it was notable, and I, I think that's you know I know I was excited. I didn't drink at the time, and I still bought it because you know that's you know it was it was an exciting thing for Rochester, yeah. and it's something I I gave first to legal spirits made in the city since prohibition. Yeah, and I, I gave it to a lot of my friends. Say, hey, this is this is really cool. This is this is vodka here in Rochester. This is this is a great thing. And I know for those that don't follow it as closely and don't know that you've been continually working on improvements, for some of them, they, they might have they might not have come back yep. or gone to try it. It's fantastic in a very spicy Bloody Mary. I could see that. <laughs> I could see that. And pretty terrible in uh, <laughs> in a martini. Yeah. <laughs> or just in a glass. <laughs> yeah. The- and, and, I, do, and do we really want to make martinis out of vodka anyways? There is that. There I mean, is come that. on. But, but come that, on. I mean, that's probably the biggest lesson that we've learned is, and luckily, so now nothing goes on Facebook until after it's in the bottle <laughs> and already signed off on um, so that we don't get backed into a corner anymore. That's that's probably a good idea, and you yeah. don't have 700 people lining up the weekend before Christmas. Hey, it was a fantastic day. And I actually wonder, and this is something I've talked to my staff about, I actually wonder whether the product changed over time or if everyone was just so excited and was so polite to me because we were opening. But that day, everyone loved it. And people came and they bought it even after tasting it. And the issues, you know, the the complaints really didn't arise for almost a month. Mm. So I really do actually wonder if the and. And whiskey and vodka do have a tendency to settle after they've been running. So I wonder if it was so fresh off the still that it hadn't yet had time for the more you know volatile compounds to coagulate and and get funky. Hmm. So, it's, and I, I think you're probably right on the first part as well because I think people tend to want they want to love something that they got involved with. Yeah, yeah I just can't Probably believe that people both. were that polite. Like, because it's not that good. The first batch was rough. Well, that's the other thing about bad booze. It still has ethanol in it. it still, still does its job. It does. <laughs> it does. Yeah, but you know, it's for the best. It, it was something you figured out. Something you've worked through. Yes. And now we've got a whole suite of different products here. Yes. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. 
Um, and we're going to come back and we're going to go through a tasting and hear more from Luke, who's uh, not only the brand ambassador for Black Button, but a accomplished bartender man himself. Some would say so. Yeah, some would say so. He's made a drink or two. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and then some of the things that he likes to do with these kind of products. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'd like to take a second to tell you about a new Rochester-based website called Frankly. That's P-H-R-A-N-K dot L-Y. Frankly is a one-stop shop to find out where your favorite restaurants source their ingredients and also a great way to see who carries that coffee you love or who uses the best bread for their sandwiches. Frankly is the perfect tool to find the information you need about the food and drink you love. That's P-H-R-A-N-K dot L-Y. And we're back, and uh, I think we're gonna start going through the start going through the products over here. And I did pull my f- first uh, first batch off the shelf of the vodka. Batch one, because what, ooh, nice. What bottle number is it? Eleven ninety. Bottle okay. eleven ninety. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just interested because it's, it's been a long time since I've tasted it. This will be the first time I've had it. It's, it's been a while for me, so. Love the noises. Noises are turning <laughs> out really clink, nice. Clink. Sound effects? Oh yeah, I, I do need a soundboard. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure I need car crashes and things like that, but <laughs> the wacky cartoon running noise. <laughs> you need the kazoo. Let's the, do a morning show. The kazoo thing. Oh, slide whistle. Yep. Yeah, you gotta do the slide whistle. You need that. You need yeah, that. and probably a theremin while we're getting into it. Morning zoo. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean this it's got a this has got a lot of aroma to it. Yep. Yep. Again, would have made a great wheat whiskey. It was the problem is we called it a wheat body. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's a big wheat. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of sweetness on the nose. It's yeah. Not unappealing. No, it's not that it's a bad spirit, it's that it doesn't meet expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see I exactly what you're saying. I mean, in a Yeah, it's got that lingering lingering wheat taste, mm-hmm. but in a in an intensely flavored drink, I think it could work pretty well. Yeah, I mean, as I said, a spicy mar- um, bloody mary. Yeah, we absolutely. Were, we were joking about martinis earlier, but I think it could actually make this work in a, in a martini. Just well, get a healthy just... dose of brine in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the dirty more martini. the more savory you go, I think the better that would be because it has a bit of a, even though it has a bit of a sweet profile. Yeah, it's not. No, a little celery in there. I think you can make it work, but fortunately, we don't have to. Well, so the, we fine, uh, the fine folks at Cure, uh, who were one of our very first customers, um, did uh, did put it in a kale-based cocktail. That they... actually makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah again, yeah. go vegetal. Yep, mm-hmm. no, that, that worked very well. That um, was vegetal, people. Vegetal. <laughs> vegetal. <laughs> is, this, um, is that a spelling bee word? Um, <laughs> Jeopardy? <laughs> uh, I think that's just making fun of my vernacular. <laughs> Yeah. That was good. I liked it. Boston boys. Yeah. So while we're while we're tasting the twenty plate vodka, so this is this is the new version. Um, Jay, can you explain what this version is in comparison? Yes. So the biggest difference, um, in, uh, there's they're actually both made from soft winter wheat, um, but we toned down the amount of barley in it. We now go. Th- we now everything gets double pot distilled, but for the twenty plate, we distill it first through our four plate whiskey column. All four plates, very closed, very tight. We're able to pull it off with still about 180 proof, 
We then make we then take two runs of that, put it back into the still, run it up the sixteen plate vodka column, and all we have to do is go from one hundred and eighty to one hundred and ninety two proof. So the problem is the wheat based vodka probably came off the still at about one hundred and eighty eight. This is coming off closer to one hundred and ninety two. And in case that doesn't sound that different, one hundred and ninety three point six is the theoretical limit at this altitude. (laughs) So we're getting to pretty much the edge of science there. It's much cleaner, much crisper. None of that, uh, you know, big weedy bite to it. Yeah, and it's definitely nice and clean. It has a good, um, good texture in your mouth. It's not too thin or anything like that, which is pleasant. So, I mean, this, this kind of would—I don't want to say the word replace, but this is this would take the place of any uh, premium style vodka that you would enjoy. Yep, yep. We've definitely dislodged Grey Goose Kettle One, both of which are made with soft winter wheat, by the way, just like us, um, at a number of bars. So. So now, I mean, you've got, so for, if you're trying to drink local, which that's always one of my goals that we're talking about is we're not only talking about eating locally and sourcing locally, um, quality being important. Oh yeah. Um, but we are also talking about drinking locally and when you have the opportunity and the product is meeting your expectations, um, I'm not a typical vodka drinker, but that played really clean. It played really nice. So there's really no reason not to drink local when you can get it for, you know, you're playing about the same price yep. as these other premium brands. Yep. And certainly that is something that we push, but we also make sure we're pushing that quality piece of it. And we don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, we'll take any reason why people pick our product, sure. but we don't want it to just be because we're around the corner. We want it because they really, <laughs> really enjoy it. And uh, we can't claim that we're local in the other 15 states we sell in, so we have to be yeah, selling on that's more true. than just... That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. More than just being around the corner. So yeah. we, we think that ought to be the feather in the cap, but we certainly want to deliver a very high-quality experience, great value for what people are buying, and fantastic taste. Yeah. So we're pivoting over to the Citrus Forward Gin, which, as you mentioned, is has been continually on the product line since you guys opened. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um it's really what launched us into our national side of things. Uh, you know, we we won the American Craft Spirits Association's uh, annual. Uh, we, we took third out of four hundred gins our very first year, and that's what got the distributors' attention around the country. And uh, they came to us, you know, looking for that gin to be brought into I think eight of the states that we are now in. That's so. awesome. So what what's what's changed in the gin over you know from the start till now? Almost nothing. Uh, The very first batch, the only thing that has changed is that in the very first batch, um, the cinnamon was considerably more noticeable because I had written the recipe with the intention of using cinnamon chips and instead accidentally um, bought ground cinnamon when Mm. I did it. Um, That'll do it. Ground cinnamon. Bit of a difference there, yeah. yeah. 20x the uh, the potency, ground cinnamon. Uh, So we still use ground cinnamon, but we we scaled that back by 10x. Uh, and now it's much more citrus forward. But um, but other than that, that change between the first batch and the second batch, it has not changed a lick. Interesting. So your base spirit's been the same since, yep. and in fact, we still make it, and we only make it a half batch at a time because I'm terrified of trying to scale it up to a full batch. Interesting. It works. I don't. Yeah. I don't fix what works. See, <laughs> I, I didn't know if you were going to change it and you know use the use the vodka base as the as the gin as it changed or it, it's been static. It, it has moved up to the new version of the vodka. So that's that makes a big difference. That does. We we might have a much cleaner spirit to start with. So that's true. That that part has changed. But your flavor profiles have been otherwise very consistent. Yes. Nice. Yep. So, 
on the nose, it's obviously gin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which one I like. I don't. I want it to taste like gin. I don't want to. Although I like the floral versions. You yeah. Know, different floral gins. Obviously, you guys do lilac in the in the springtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and garden in the fall. Yep. Right. And that's you know I'm assuming that's more vegetal. <laughs> um, herbaceous, maybe. Oh, herbaceous. I like it. <laughs> um, but. I mean, gin has a gin aroma. I mean, mm-hmm. this it's got that piney aroma that well, from juniper berries. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there's no mistaking the citrus in this. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I like to talk a lot about what I call gateway gins. You know, Hendrix is a great example. Arjun is a great example. Gins are a little bit more approachable, uh, especially to the American palate. They're not quite as juniper heavy. We always we always say we use about a third of the juniper you typically find in London Dry. Uh, but that said, you still want it to taste like juniper. It's really not gin. You know, so I think ours, ours does a great, great line, great job of walking that line between approachability and still an honest traditional gin. Right. So from from a cocktail perspective, I and mean, we we talked about the twenty plate, and obviously, you know, if you use vodka in a cocktail, it's going to replace pretty much straight. So if you're doing your traditional Moscow Mule or something, that's going to be you know the easy substitution. Um, what about the gin? What what kind of do you would do you usually just go straight for whatever? gin recipe it is or do you like to customize it because it has a citrus profile yeah i mean that's it will work in um in really any recipe uh but it does tend to really shine in sours um a, a corpse survivor number two a last word you know something that involves gin citrus and something sweet i actually uh i had a 20th century the other night with it uh which is lemon and creme de cacao with the gin in it, and it really it really shone in that mm. um it, anything with lemon is going to tie very well and the drink i I've kind of been pushing with it is a uh, Ramus Gin Fizz mm. because a Ramus Gin Fizz calls for orange flower water. You can actually back off that orange flower water and let the citrus in that gin do a little bit of that work and you end up with a really good product. <sighs> Plus, it's a very creamy gin and it's a very full mouthfeel. Yeah. So it benefits cocktails in that way too if you want to lean more towards the classic set, you know, the stirred cocktails such as a, as a martini and things like that. It has that viscosity that really stands up in there. Well, I think I think that's also a good point. I mean, we we talked about you know the the changing of the base spirit towards the towards the cleaner. I think the flavors come out cleaner now. You know, they're, you you don't lose you don't lose any of that in the in the base spirit with the with the citrus and everything else. It's it all comes through a little more articulate. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. I mean, I uh, again because I'm new, I don't know if I've tried the uh, the previous <laughs> version. Uh, I don't know if you have any of that back I there do. too. Of course, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I've found this one really pleasant. And for those of you that are around and can go over, uh, some of the barrel stuff still around too. Yes. Yes. Which that's um, kind of, that's kind of a trend right now in craft distilling. Is yeah, the barrel aged gins are really becoming very hot in the market right now. Yeah. It was just an article. I think you sent me in, in vibe. Yep. Um, talking about them, but yeah, it's a trendy category. It should be a trendy category because it's awesome. It's delicious. I mean, it offers a lot of things that I think we all enjoy. I mean, I think I like gin because it's, you know, it's got a lot to offer and then adding the barrel in there, rounding it out, changing that profile a little bit. And I think especially the, you know, the citrus forward. It's a lot of what we enjoy in some of these cocktails all in one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, circling back to that creaminess and that mouthfeel, you know, that's that's a big reason that, that cocktails are popular in general because you can play with the texture. This gives you more to play with. Yeah, so if you haven't gotten that yet, that one I definitely recommend stopping by and trying. Yeah. And that one's done in your used bourbon barrels, correct? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get a little more of that sweetness, a little more of that 
bourbon character in, characteristic in there. Yeah, I mean, because you're pulling different wood sugars. Uh, we put it in there at a different proof than the bourbon was in there to, again, pull out different wood sugars. And, uh, and you know, time is a great thing for spirits. It gives the the gin time to breathe, time to settle, time to mellow. Uh, you then add in those uh, those buttery notes from the wood, and it's uh, it's just a fantastic, well-balanced spirit that's got hints of the, the two parents it's made from, the gin and the bourbon, but is uniquely its own. Yeah. Nice. See, look at this. It's like you're a professional at this or something. <laughs> I think, I'm, I'm starting to get used to talking to people. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say at this point, I, I've heard you project. I mean, I think we we both know how to project when we want to, but you've got that down pat. Thank you. I mean, you when you got to go over a crowd, yeah. there's not many people I know that can really go over a crowd like Jason can. He really brings it. He brings it from the diaphragm. Yeah, I don't you even know. have that. I just got to let my Rochester <laughs> accent come out, and it just kind of cuts through the crowd. You know? Yeah, really. The crowd. <laughs> bring, <laughs> bring, bring the nasal in. Yep, yep. Say, just... I'm really from Rochester. Let's do this. Guys, I just got back from Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we poured our we poured the four grain bourbon now. Yes. And this is the this is the current batch or. Uh, so this is yeah. So this is the last bottle of uh, this is what I had in my case. This is the last bottle of batch five, uh, and batch seven just came out about two weeks ago. Okay. Um. So always the same recipe. I mean, our four grain bourbon hasn't changed since we started. Sixty corn, twenty wheat, nine rye, eleven percent malted barley. But uh, each batch has got a little bit of uniqueness because we only blend about 10 to 12 barrels into a batch. Mm. And since every barrel is unique, you do get some slight changes, whether it's in spiciness or whether it's in that mouthfeel. You know, it's always going to deliver that same brand promise. And I do believe that if you like one batch, you'll like the next batch. But each one is sort of a truly unique experience. So, I mean... You've, I'm assuming you've tasted, you've tasted all these as you're bottling, as you're blending, as you're yes. doing everything. So while we sample batch number five, what for you was the biggest difference between you know five and seven as you move forward? I mean, I think the biggest difference between five and seven, um, five is actually a little bit older than seven was. Seven, uh, we actually used some barrels that were slightly, uh, slightly younger. Mm. Um, there was a little bit more of a spicy wood note. Uh, you know, kind of a kick on the front part of the palate in seven, uh, whereas five was a little bit more mellow and a little bit, um, you know, a little bit more with a long finish kind of rolling around the mouth. Yeah. So this one is, these were bottled at, I'm looking, I think I see 42%. Yes. Mm -hmm. So low enough where you don't really need to water it down too much. Uh, you know, if you like water, not certainly not a bad move. Um, or if you like ice, but... I don't think you really need it. It's, I mean, all of our spirits are supposed to be very approachable. I always say life is hard, drinking shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely has the characteristic sweetness yep. of a bourbon. Um, you, know, you get a little bit of little bit of fire in the back, but it's not certainly not unpleasant. Yeah. Or or you know, it's not a fiery bourbon by any means. No. no. But you want to know that you're drinking. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that, that fire and spice comes a little bit more from the rye than it does from the ethanol. Um, mm -hmm. You're definitely getting a little bit of the ethanol, as you mm -hmm. should. But it's that rye on the finish that I really feel like is kind of the, the signature of yeah. our bourbon. You know? Yeah, so the, the, we use Danko rye, which is this very plump, very thick, very big rye. And, uh, and it's amazing what 9% will do for this. Um, but it's really what I was shooting for when I make a Manhattan. 
uh, was a weeded bourbon with a splash of rye. This bourbon is a weeded bourbon with a splash of rye. Nice. So, I mean, that's, so you're kind of catering, catering to your own tastes. Oh, yeah, First no, I foremost. just hope the rest of you guys will drink this, but this is really about me. <laughs> well, I think that's a good thing. Because if no one else will, I have to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that's a good thing, too. If you just cater to, now, I don't want to, I'm going to use the term lowest common denominator for what most people like. No, you want to, you want to, you, you know, adjust a little bit here and there, but generally speaking, you want to make what you want mm-hmm. because you want to have unique characteristics to what you're doing. If you just do exactly, you know, if you just tried to replicate bullet bourbon, for example, well, then you're, you're, you're just a knockoff. You're not right. doing anything you want. Right. You're, you're trying to be, being yourself is the best way to make a product that people want to try. Yeah. So each of our spirits truly does have that, you know, that thumbprint um, or my taste profile involved in it. I'm still involved with every, uh, with the final distillation of every batch, tasting every blend that we put together for the bourbon. And, uh, and I mean, it's my signature on the front of the bottle. And if we're going to do that, I want it to be distinctly what my taste buds enjoy. And, uh, and certainly I hope that there are enough people out there to join us that we can keep this going. So far, that seems to be working out pretty well. Nice. But, uh, but if not, at least I liked the batch, and then I'll sit down and drink it. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, that's that's what drew me to the company. I was like, this is this is a Rochester based Rochester based company that believes in the scene here, that also believes in what they're doing. You know, this is something I can get on board with. Well, and not not only that, Luke. I mean, you've you've had a lot of weird, diverse experiences yeah, that's, in, in that's the true. in the industry, <laughs> and um, you know, you were uh, you worked Fee Brothers, mm-hmm. worked Fee Brothers. You've been in uh, some interesting bars in Boston and here in Buffalo. And I mean, you've, you've tried a lot of different spirits. Yes. And I think that's, I mean, is that, that's part of what drew you into this thing is that it is a little bit, it's unique for what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I think, um, I think it's important to have personality in this business. I think there's a lot of personal freedom afforded to bartenders. And I think that should extend through the whole industry. People shouldn't be afraid to, to be a little bit who they are, to be, be their weird, the weird selves, you know? And I, I think the fast ferry for actually exemplifies that in a lot of ways. It's like, here's this product we made. It's actually kind of an accident. You know, Jason puts corrupted by on the bottle instead of created by. Um, and we're having a, we're having fun with the Fast Ferry, which is, you know, a great regional joke. You know, I'm sure most people... It's so frustrating. Like, yeah. <laughs> I always liken it to uh, the Simpsons monorail episode. Very much so. That's that's Rochester's version of that. You know, but, but little things like that really, really kind of draw me in because that's it's makes it seem more like a product made by real people, which it is. Yeah. Which is yeah certainly not a bad thing, and now we're tasting Jason's signature so, drink over here, which I'm uh, just by the aroma I'm excited about. So we are we are now on to the port finished bourbon, and uh, I got an interesting question from one of my staff members the other day. They said, "Jason, how many port finished bourbons are there in the country?" And I was like, "Well, there's there's a couple of dozen, but uh, but what's important to actually think about that is there how we define port bourbon." And bourbon that has spent a day or two in some amount of a port barrel is two very different things. Uh, without calling out any particular names, there are some national brands that bill their products as port finished bourbon, but you can't really pick up the port when you nose it. You don't really taste the sweetness when you drink it. This is a, a marriage of, of New York uh, you know, products. Uh, we work with Port of New York, which is a very small winery down in Ithaca, they empty their barrels that morning. We have a truck waiting. That truck drives straight back to Rochester, and as soon as the barrels are unloaded, we refill them where the 
port is still sloshing around in the bottle of this incredibly fresh bourbon or incredibly fresh barrel. And then we wait another, you know, this is bourbon that's already been aged. It's already some of our best stuff, things that we would be happy to put into a bottle and sell, but we're going to go one more round with it. We'll put it into that barrel. We'll wait another year. We'll lose another 25% of the product. Uh, the, the evaporative losses in this climate are fantastic. Mm. And what's left is this big, thick, juicy, chocolatey, cherry bourbon. Oh, God. Yeah, and you're fantastic. right. I mean, you on the nose, you get the port, which, you know, if if those of you that haven't messed around with port yet, you know, you can get some really offensively sweet stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But when it's good, when it's complex, when it's got that, you know, butterscotch and all those interesting flavors in it, it's such a, you know, those, those uh, you know, macerated cherry flavors and all that other stuff. I mean, it's so delightful that you really need to try it. You need to try the good stuff. Yes. Yeah. No, the, the amount of dried cherry that that is in this glass is, is unbelievable. That, that to me is like the keynote in port bourbon. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, there's a lot, but that, that's the one that really is the signature to me. And, then and it, you mentioned this one was barrel strength, correct? Yes. It's 110.6 proof. You know it's over 100. Yeah. But you know what? It plays... It definitely plays easier than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get away from it. I mean, it's it's gonna be there. You you feel it all the way down into yep. your soul. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, but it's warm and going down. It's yeah. not not just straight achita. You know? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a straight fireball by any yeah. means. No, it's a it's a lover's hand caressing your chest instead of the bully <laughs> in the schoolyard <laughs> punching you in the chest. Caressing your chest <laughs> with his fist. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Dead air with enjoyment of yep. spirits. <laughs> yeah, sorry, folks. Uh, but Stay patient. The folks. good news is we invite you down to the Black Button Tasting Room to uh, taste some of this, or uh, most of your local liquor stores will have a bottle, uh, most likely in a locked case, um, because it is pretty prized stuff. So that's awesome, man. I- I'm glad you. I'm glad you tried this too, because I mean, a whole extra year. I mean, really does, you know, it slows you down. Well, and only one out of every three port barrels is any good. Really? Yeah. What? What? What's the reasoning behind that? Because sometimes the wine goes bad. Ah, then you get vinegar barrels. Yeah. So then the question is, what does Jason do with the other two-thirds of the port barrels? Mm-hmm. That is a question I'm trying to figure out right now. I like that idea. Well, if anyone wants 240 <laughs> gallons of slightly vinegarized bourbon... You let me know. <laughs> I got some ideas. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like where we're going with this. It can get really weird really fast. Bottled shrub bourbon? We'll figure something out. Yeah. Balsamic <laughs> vinaigrette bourbon? <laughs> I, there's got to be something weird we can do with that. Oh, I'm sure oh, there yeah. is. I'm sure there there's is. There's definitely something weird. I think there's something good and weird. Like yeah. Because I like good and weird and shrubs. I love shrubs. I mean, it's such a unique characteristic for a product with that... Um, you know, with the vinegary taste with the fruit or whatever you're doing with it. Yeah. And it works great in a cocktail, works great as a, you know, sort of a refreshing drink. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that we're seeing more of that in Rochester, too, because it is, you know, it's a cold weather area thing. That's where it came from. And we're seeing more bartenders here 
be a little bit more nose to tail and, and conscious with their waste because of things like shrubs, which is and really cool. Chris, I'm sure we've got some folks listening tonight that are interested in getting into this industry and wondering how they can go about doing that. And uh, something I might say to them is to really seek out some of these more esoteric, unique, historical things that don't necessarily require a large capital investment. I mean, you could start making shrubs in five gallon, ten gallon jugs in your basement, and that's and true. Once you, it's true fermentation too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and once you perfect your recipe, get a you know a small uh, facility and be you know the the key maker of that product in Western New York, because you're not going to find another shrub maker till you've <laughs> moved to Minnesota, Michigan, or New York City. Right, and who and also who's making local vinegar too? I mean, even if you're just doing vinegar. I mean, that's that's another great thing you can mess around with. Oh, yeah. There's so many opportunities. And as we're trying, you know, we're trying to be, trying to make great quality, trying to be local. Um, there's so many opportunities to be creative. And, you know, we've got great local wines to mess around with. I mean, who wouldn't want to try making Riesling, Riesling vinegar or something? Yeah, there's certainly plenty of Catawba grapes for it. I'm not familiar with that. Catawba is one of the na- native uh, grapes, and they just happen to have lots of it. So okay. It's very cheap. There's no reason you couldn't. I mean, pure yep. New York State vinegar, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to try? Yep. Yeah. Also, uh, one of those weird things between radio and, you know, if you were actually sitting in this room, for anyone that's looking at what I just poured for uh, Luke in his glass, yes, I am trying to take advantage of him when I take it home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of got distracted as we were talking there and just kept pouring yeah. it. Yeah. Very... But you knew it was my favorite prize. I was going to say, I, I was pouring him a very healthy portion of our fast ferry Manhattan-style Fernet. Yeah. So this is what I mentioned before is, is really one of the reasons I was drawn to Black Button. Um, it's, it's an unabashedly weird product yeah. and I love that. Um, again, we call it fast ferry for net because it was, it was, a uh, it was an accident. It wasn't what we intended. We ended up with something great. So we called it fast ferry for net, kind of making the best out of it, out of a situation. Um, and you know, through talking to me through the last podcast I did, I'm a big fan of weird flavors. I like Absolutely. things that get extreme. This to me right up front is all about the orange and the clove. I love Absolutely. clove in cocktails. I think it's an under, underused flavor profile, um, and it really this thing really screams it. Uh, so that for that reason, I love it in tiki drinks. You know, big tiki. Yeah, I can too. absolutely see that. Yep. Um, also, classics that call for fernet. It's a really interesting way to do a historical reinterpretation of, say, <laughs> a Toronto or a hanky panky or another boozy classic that calls for fernet, um, because there was different kinds of fernet being made then too. As well as now. Well, now now everybody considers everybody when they hear Fernet, they hear Fernet Branca because that's yep. kind of the you know industry standard. Yeah. But Fernet doesn't; it's not a brand. Right, right. Fernet Branca is, and they do a great job of it, and I, and I love those guys. Sure. Um, but that's yeah, that's what people don't realize. It's sort of a Xerox or Kodak situation, you know. There's or even bourbon or gin. Fernet is the style of product. Exactly. Fernet Branca is a particular kind of that. Yes, I mean I'm very glad that there is more bourbon in this world than just Maker's Mark or Bullet or Jim Beam, all of which are actually fantastic products. Right. But if we only had that one, it'd be very boring. Yeah, exactly. So and that's. I, I think that's a great point. I mean, this is really, it plays as a it plays as an amaro. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just a different version. I mean, it's you're right on the orange and the clove, but it has a distinct, a distinct um, bite when you drink it, in a, in a very pleasant way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's ultimately digestive, you know. Absolutely. It should be a little bit funky, should taste very herbaceous, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's gonna help settle your stomach. You yeah. Know? 
And I could absolutely see this with um, with soda water, soda water and some herbs. I think this would be a it'd be a great uh, a great drink, just simple like a spritz kind of thing almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do a spritz obviously with champagne, but you know, going just straight soda water just to bring out the the nose of it just aromatically would be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've seen some great bartenders here do do things like that. They serve it, they serve it in a highball to mellow it out a bit. I love it, so my favorite way to enjoy it is in shots. But there's a lot you can do with it. Absolutely, and it's not too low in alcohol either. I mean, it it's presenting it's, uh, as it's eighty proof. So yeah, so you know what? I actually a little bit stronger than Fernet Branca. Yeah. You know, I've, been, I've been drinking it like it wasn't. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is really kicking. And eighty proof would be the reason because that is actually higher proof than most of the typical you know Fernet Amaro kind of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, other than you know some of the really high kick like Chartreuse and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But, but I don't think proof. chartreuse was ever designed to be drunk just by itself. <laughs> I know you'd some have, people you'd have do. to ask the monks about that. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think worked in Buffalo for a few months. People do drink it straight. Oh, a yeah. lot. Mm, green chartreuse, <laughs> so good. Um, but at eighty, you're not watering down your cocktail with this either. No, absolutely, absolutely not. You know, and I think there's actually a bit of a trend in the industry. You, you look at uh, Chenar seventy. Yeah, um, that's become the dominant product. Um, I know. Um, uh, the rhubarb based tomorrow. Um, oh, I'm blanking wow. on the name, but they, remembering? yeah, um, they, uh, they up their proof too. Uh, a lot of them are, are trying to do that. Cause I think for Bronca had so much success as like the bartender's shot. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's nice to have a product like this that already comes out at that proof. You know? Yeah. And you know, traditional, it's a great example. Chinar traditional versus the 70. It's the traditional is so easy. Now mm-hmm. that you take a step back after you try it, at 70 proof. And if you try this at 80, again, not in a bad way, it really does play as its own thing. Yeah. It's got plenty of sweetness, but you don't have to add simple syrup after you add this into your cocktail either. You know, you're getting enough sweetness from this where you feel good about it. Yep. Kind of like when you add good vermouth to a cocktail. It's got enough funk and interest. It's yep. got some sweetness too, but not in a bad way. Yeah. And that's well, interesting to mention that because this actually because with vermouth. Yep. It started out as as an attempt at a bottled Manhattan. So there's a very strong vermouth element. Yeah. So if you want to work on a vermouth cocktail, even just a Manhattan riff, you can start right there replacing the vermouth with the fernet. Kind of kind of works in two ways that way. It can be an Amaro, it can be a vermouth. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, and it definitely has some of those uh, you know, classic uh old fashioned bitters flavors and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's yeah. It's it's a, it it's a lot of really in Thee Brothers old fashioned yep. beers. Oh, <laughs> look at that! Look at that! And that makes a lot of sense because that's that's really what I was getting a it's lot like, of. Chris, yep. how much were you stalking me when we were making this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we talked about it once, and I was actually I was just picking it up as we were as we were. I drinking mean, your it. your nose and taste buds are very on point. So, <laughs> oh man, this makes me very happy. I usually <laughs> fail miserably at tastings, yeah. and. <laughs> My my least favorite thing to do, but something I still do all the time, is like if I go into like Joe Bean, and there's two espressos on, I have a fifty fifty chance of picking which one they made for me. I get it wrong seventy five percent of the time. I talk myself into one. I'm terrible at coffee tasting. Yeah, but I still try, and I think that's the important thing when it comes to this kind of stuff. Is if you want to be intrigued by all these things. Keep on tasting. Keep on trying. Keep yep. on learning. Yep. And allow yourself to be intrigued by them. There's yeah. nothing wrong with being wrong about flavor notes. You know, this is something I was at a USBG meeting yesterday, and a lot of people were tasting scotch. A lot of people were like, oh, I get like a little smoke, peat, you know, which is not wrong. But I really enjoyed the bartenders who were like, 
you know, do, do I get raisins here? You know, like really reaching for those extreme notes because you're not wrong. You're tasting yeah. what you're tasting, you know? So I really enjoy seeing people kind of put themselves out there, you know? Well, and also, I mean, from a, from a creative standpoint, I mean, as a, as a bartender who's worked at some of these, what I would call the higher end creative cocktail bars, I mean, you were at Back Bar in Boston, mm -hmm. which is, and there's, was there much of a menu there or is that a, we did, we did offer, uh, I think, I think by the time I left, they switched over to a nine-drink menu, um, mm -hmm. just as a chance to offer themselves. But right in the center of that menu is bartender's choice. That was what we want to draw your eyes to, because we're like, really, you don't you don't have to order. Just tell us what you're into, yeah. and we'll put it together for you. But I think that's the interesting thing. In the thing weirdest is, way possible. Yeah. If, yep. <laughs> but that, but that's I think that's an interesting point and an interesting way of thinking about this is trying out different flavor combinations. You can use the old ratios. You can use the classics just to make sure you're you're hitting general general profiles of what you're trying to do. And my voice is slightly slurring because we're drinking delicious <laughs> stuff. Um, but you're trying to hit all these different, the different ratios and classic cocktails, but also tweaking them. Yes. And learning, learning how to balance flavors. That comes through experimentation that doesn't come through pure mental exercise. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I have made way more bad drinks than I have good. And I just tend to remember the good ones more. Well, and you'd also be amazed at how these things progress over time. You know, if you taste a bottle and it's a 90-degree day and you've just finished, you know, a hot day's worth of work, you know, that product's going to taste very different than that following winter when you're snuggled up next to the fire and, and maybe put it in something else. So it really can progress over time, both as the spirits mellow in the bottle and as as the situation dictates with your taste buds. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's interesting to talk about situational taste. Because there's some people that will, that will, you know, completely swear behind, you know, bad light beer on a super hot day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Lawnmower beer. Yeah. Genesee yeah. of a splash of Capari is still one of my go-tos. Now, that summers. actually sounds really good. Yeah. Spices it up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I recommend it. I like that idea. <laughs> so... Yeah, we're going to finish up this for now, which I'm really enjoying, by the way. I think this is um, something I'd be happy to drink on its own. Yep. I'm not a huge sweet fan, and thankfully it doesn't play coinly sweet at all. Yeah, it's it's what I like to call balanced through extremes. I think it's it's both pretty sweet and bitter, you know? And so when you put those together, you end up with a balanced product. Yeah. You know? mm. Man, I'm enjoying that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I may have poured theirs a little heavy. <laughs> yeah. Not complaining over here. No. I, I think the dinner I'm going to after this is going to taste even better now. It's amazing what a little bit of booze will just uh, perk you right up. Man, it's going to put me in a really good mood for a review dinner. Um, <laughs> and I'm hoping my mood is better than it was the last time I went to this place. Not, not, I'm, not, I'm not bashing it verbally in this in this podcast, but <laughs> now um, my curiosity's peaked. Yeah, I, I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll take that off radio. We, yeah. we don't want to. <laughs> yeah. We want to no, keep it positive. Folks. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going after anybody specifically here, but the first visit was not as great as it could have been. I'm hoping the second visit's much better tonight. So yeah, I'm um, hoping my opponent will sign a clean campaign pledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, too I, soon. I, too soon. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think there's a valid point there, though, that it's not all about first impressions. You know, we were, we were talking about we just tried our, our first vodka, and yeah. I happen to think the 20 plate was a little bit better. You guys might agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, that's something to keep in mind, too. Is, Absolutely. Is, is that, you know, all of us are pretty new to this business. Cocktails in general are really, they're a reborn idea, but for all intents and purposes, new. 
Um, so that's something I, I enjoy here is people are afforded that those second and third chances. You know? Well, and it does certainly beg the question of, I mean, a restaurant in their opening month and a restaurant a year after they've opened are two very different places. Oh, yeah. Um, certainly you'd hope so. So it, yeah. it's certainly worth remembering that if something didn't totally blow you away to, uh, to you know, give it a second try before truly passing judgment. Absolutely, yeah. yep. which is why I'm happy for the reviews I do for the city newspaper. I get to go twice. I get to really try it out and say, hey, this was a, you know, hey, they had a bad night. Places have bad nights. I mean, that's that's fair for anybody. Oh, yeah. And individual batches of things, you know, are always going to be different. So you hope you give them the best chance they can to do as best as they want. Yes. You yes. know, order what they're best at. Try, try. I love. I like making places look good. I mean, mm-hmm. what what do I want to do more than say, hey, hey, Jason, that that Fernet was awesome. I really want to drink that more. That's a lot more. That's a lot more fun to say to everybody than. Geez, that's a that's a hunk of shit. I don't want to drink that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's something, especially in in uh, you know, so apropos in in the the day we're at right now, that we as a society can do a lot to build each other up or tear each other down, and it really is a choice. Yeah, we can choose to do one of those two things, and uh, it's always easier to tear people down that are sticking their neck out there. But it, it's worth uh, remembering that that they're trying their hardest. And uh, and maybe it's worth uh, cutting them a little slack and hopefully joining them on this adventure because it can be a pretty wild ride. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're going to round out this uh, love fest for a second with <laughs> the fact that people that are trying to create something, it's not giving slack necessarily, but it's understanding what it takes to make something. Yes. It's understanding that it takes a lot of, takes a lot of you know, blood, sweat, and tears to make four grain bourbon or fernet or whatever. And there's people behind these products, especially when you're dealing with local businesses, you're not dealing with Applebee's and the Darden group, and you're not dealing with, you know, those kind of people you're dealing with people, their families and their livelihoods. And that's not to say you can't be critical. It's not to say you can't point out flaws when flaws exist, because that's good for everybody when it's done. Constructive criticism is always appreciated, Mm -hmm. but you have to remember that there's people behind these things and they're going to take things personally. You have to remember you can't, you can be mean, you can be vicious, but it's somebody's livelihood that you're, that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I mean, that's kind of boiling down uh, what you said or distilling even, forgive me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's <laughs> Cut him off. Cut him uh, off. Classic Luke. Uh, <laughs> It's a decision to be positive or negative. You know, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, uh, coming back here, working at a place like Back Bar, which really pushes his employees, his, his employees to be the best they can be, um, coming back here and seeing people that are relatively new to the business, found myself being a little judgmental at a couple stages when I'm sitting at a bar getting a drink, and then kind of reminding myself that, you know, hey, this is a 23-year-old kid, or not even age-specific. Hey, this is a 32-year-old person that's that's new to bartending um, and remembering where I was at when I was new to bartending. And or when you were 32. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old is where he's going with that. Uh, <laughs> but you got to give people a little room to grow. And constructive criticism is key. We, we need to be able to accept that. We need to be able to deliver it. But just remember, if you sit down with a guy and he doesn't know this classic cocktail recipe and it messes up your night a little bit, Three years from now, that guy could be the best bartender in the city, you know? 
So we, we got to give each other a chance to to build up and grow. Yeah, and there's so many great stories of guys that um, guys that started at dive bars, mm-hmm. just doing blank and blanks and serving, you know, um, shitty macro beer, and turning into great bartenders. Oh yeah. And it's a matter of people that care. And when you say, hey, you don't need to yell at them about this bad drink. You say, hey, do you, you know, did you know the ratios for this? What, what ratios did you use? Yep. It's also asking pointed questions and saying, hey, what, what did you do for this? Yeah, yeah. Say, oh, you know, traditionally, I'm, I thought this was like this. Yep. There's a lot of ways to do this the nice way mm-hmm. instead of the yelling and screaming and gnashing of teeth and all that stuff. You're just going home and writing a nasty review about it without telling the bartender. You know? Right. Like that's, and just to be clear, I'm not anti-Yelp, I think. I think it's amazing. That's free information for bartenders. I think it's great. Yeah, it can, but, it can be. Yeah. But, it can be when the people are being thoughtful. But yeah, exactly. Communicate to the person in front of you. And bartenders, be open to criticism. Yeah, you know? throw some feedback. But I think we're all just nice to each other and we're aiming towards all getting better. Things will probably get better. I like it. I like it, boys. So we're going to try the last of the spirits that uh, Jason brought today. Yeah. So why don't we talk about this? So Bespoke Bourbon Cream, better known as uh, Better Than Bailey's. Uh, so this was an interesting uh, That's phenomenon. not on the label, by the way. No, I'm not allowed to write it down. <laughs> Oddly enough. It, but they tell me I can say it without getting sued, so I'm going to say it as often as I can. Absolutely. Um, so interestingly enough, my father has been a lifelong Bailey's drinker, mm. and about three months after the company opened, he retired from a manufacturing career and found retirement didn't suit him, so he came to work for me. And uh, it is a blessing and a curse to work with your father, especially when it's your company. Um, couldn't do it without him, but uh, but we also have our differences of opinion from time to time. But what was interesting is we as we finally brought the bourbon out, the product I had started the company to do, I was unable to convert him to the dark side and these hard spirits that I was making. And so a few weeks after having that conversation with him about the fact that he was truly a Bailey's drinker, and uh, you know, and it just wasn't something that was likely to change. I was at a Farm Bureau meeting, and the Farm Bureau is the uh, is a group of New York State farmers um, who advocate for the right to farm and um, and the opportunity to grow products in our state. And there, I had a conversation with a gentleman who uh, who wondered why we didn't make Bailey's. And I was like, well, sir, I think Bailey's would be very upset by that. So <laughs> he said, fine, why don't you make a product like Bailey's? And I was like, I'd love to, but I really don't know where to start. I would need some sort of cream. That cream would have to be able to accept alcohol. I really, this is just outside my wheelhouse. And he literally yells over his shoulder at a gentleman standing about 10 feet behind him. Hey, Frank, you want to sell this boy some aseptic cream? <laughs> And so two weeks later, I've got a bottle of bourbon. I'm staying in the back of a dairy bar in the middle of nowhere, Batavia. We're mixing up the first batch of this, and it was delicious. Now, what what is aseptic cream? Because I'm a, so, I'm a nerd when it comes to stuff. So aseptic cream is the same type of cream they use to make the creamer in the little uh, half and halves in your uh, on your diner counter. Okay. And what it is is that it's cream that's been passed through a very thin tube, heating it up to a very high temperature, crashing it to a very low temperature, heating it up to a very high temperature again and crashing it down one more time. It's what they call ultra-pasteurized, right? It is, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very terms, shelf-stabilized cream. Yes. So that allows us to mix this cream with our bourbon, a little caramel coloring so that it doesn't look like 2% milk, because that would be weird. And uh, this actually can, this bottle can stay on a back bar 
unopened or opened uh, for up to a year. Uh, but that's if you can manage to let it last that long. Um, it has quickly become a fan favorite, uh, certainly here along the holidays, and I have finally uh, converted my father to drinking one of the products that I make. So. I like it. So <laughs> lots of mutual benefits. This this is this is probably the least tasted thing. Mm. Come on, words. This is probably the thing I've tasted the least. Of your profile because it is very new as well. Yeah, it's it's relatively new, and I don't I try to stay away from the dairy stuff, and I'm not a huge fan of the sweet when it comes to comes to liquors and cocktails. And this is definitely sweet. There's no doubt about that. Yep. Yeah, it should be. But in the best possible way, this tastes like an adult liquefied toffee bar. And now that I'm tasting it by itself and just sipping through it, oof. Man, that it's it's like liquefied Heath bar with alcohol in it, and it is delightful. Yeah, no, it it, it really it's amazing to people's reactions to it because it's just across the board is a winner. <laughs> Everyone I taste it on is like, oh, I like this, you know. Yeah, it's something I've, I've had it in a cocktail before, and I think when I when I taste cocktails, I don't I'm a stickler for balance, like we were talking about before with like what the Fernet does with the balance. This doesn't necessarily bring the balance because it's definitely sweet forward and uh, toffee like, yeah, you know, caramelized flavor forward. Um, but if you're not, sometimes you don't want balance. Sometimes you want that big sweet, and this brings that in spades. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you know, I mentioned balance to extremes earlier, but you know, it's okay to have things that lean towards the sweet end of the spectrum, but there's still a balance in sweet. Mm. You know, you still you don't want cloyingly sweet, as you mentioned, you right? Know? And I think it brings those um, that Maillard reaction, those those caramelized flavors. Um, it still brings those really strong. Yes, which yeah, I, that's the part I really enjoy out of this. But there's some really deep notes in there. So when I, I was first interviewing with Jason for Black Button, uh, he gave me a bottle of the bourbon cream. I was like, "We're going to want you to do a presentation on this." So I went home and went full-blown mixologist. I was like, I'm going to get as weird as possible. I made a, uh, a pipe tobacco rum tincture um, and Ooh. then made a rooibos tincture. And I made a, a bourbon uh, drink with a little bit of the bourbon cream and the rooibos tincture for the sweet. And then flamed the tobacco, tobacco tincture over the top and like you know, just went all out with it. Jason's looking at me funny because he still hasn't tried this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hired him before I actually made him give the presentation. I'm still waiting for that part. <laughs> But then now I'm gonna have to do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's what I realized is, I don't I don't need to get weird with this. This is good over an ice cube. That's yeah. the idea. This is this is just approachable and nice and warming and comforting. You yeah. know, you can get weird. There are notes of rooibos and tobacco in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it's a nice, easygoing product. Yeah. And if you're in the mood for sweet, like I said, I mean, in the best possible way, it's an adult liquefied toffee bar, mm-hmm. and those flavors are so prominent as I'm drinking it. It's hard not to like it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it's not my typical profile. I mean, if you look at my my mini bar over there, this isn't the kind of thing I have. I've got chartreuse and mezcal and, you know, it tends things, to be high proof. and Yeah, things over 15% alcohol. Generally. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? This isn't something I'd regularly drink, but if somebody gave this to me and I just drank it, I'd be pretty damn happy. Well, and especially around the holidays, I think it's going to be a for real sure. Hit. Um, I mean, it was in. I was talking to our uh, our our accountant earlier today, 
and there's 45 days left in the year, and he asked me to predict what our inventory levels would be on January 1st, and I can do that with most of our products, but this is the first year that we've had a, a full year of the bourbon cream, and I just don't know what it's going to do this Christmas. I'm very excited to see the local community has responded to it in a huge way, and uh, and we really appreciate that. And so we're we're excited to see this product become a part of the uh, of the family celebrations that are going to take place over this next month. I think that's a great point. You know, the holiday season. It's a holiday season and all that sort of song stuff. Um, but it really cut them off, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be about that time. But I think it really does, you know, it's the kind of thing you can, you picture the fireplace, you picture the tree up, and this is kind of the serve it to the family for the people that enjoy Bailey's. Mm-hmm. The people that don't like the, the high-octane cocktails, like I think we all do. Um, you know, it's just a nice thing. People like you throw it in coffee, you throw it in somewhere else, you're going to be happy. Yep. Yep. So, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's okay if things are comforting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It can be that way for food too. We don't always oh, yeah. have to eat the most adventurous. If it's really well done, you can eat whatever. As yeah. long as it's good, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If it's the most challenging, the most creative, it's just got to be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Bacon hap- happens to taste very good with lettuce and tomato yeah. in a sandwich. That's, exactly. You know. um, so I think what we're going to do, um, because my uh, my dinner date has showed up for the evening, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to close out, and we're going to do some plugs for Black Button. So Jay and Luke, why don't you go ahead and plug whatever you need to plug? Uh, we're just always inviting people to come down and see us. I mean, our, our tasting room faces our production equipment. We've got four giant windows. We're happy to demystify how alcohol is made. And, you know, we've been around for four years. I continuously hear from people that uh, say they always intend to come down. They just haven't gotten to it. Well, why not this weekend? There's no reason, uh, no time like the present. Come down and see how we make this stuff. Try a few products yourself and, uh, and you know, go home a little bit happier. Yeah, and so you guys are located on Railroad Street right near the public market? Yep, 85 Railroad Street. So really easy to get to. May may not be the easiest place to park, but... We have our own parking lot, though. Oh, you do? That is right. I always forget about that. I've gotten a ticket on that street before. Yeah. Uh, Crumble. You you can park in the lot. We know you. (laughs) (laughs) So go visit the tasting room. They do cocktail events. They do uh, guest bartenders. They do food trucks on Sundays. This is It's a great place to go hang out. There's plenty of tastings to try. There's always new products. Yeah. So I'm going to help plug for you guys. <laughs> um, cool. It's a, it's a fun place to go visit. And if you want to just explore public market, go on a Saturday, try Black Button, Rohrbach, go there, go to Flower City Bakery, just enjoy the whole public market district and see what the heart of Rochester really has to offer when it comes to food. Yeah, absolutely. Drink. I mean, just come down to that neck of the woods. It's yeah. amazing. There's things happening. It's really cool. Absolutely. And I wanted to take a second to plug uh, USBG Rock and Buffalo. Great. Um, just as somebody who just moved back here, I'm really proud of what they're accomplishing. I think they're doing great things. And absolutely. I think they deserve a, a pat on the back for that. Yeah, uh, and I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, both uh, the president and vice president, uh, Donnie Clutterbuck and Brenda McHugh here mm-hmm. in Rochester, not only they're, are they awesome people, but they're doing a really great job pushing cocktails and liquors here in Rochester 
to the people that really care about it. And you don't just have to be an industry member to join them. They have a, a public page where they encourage people that are cocktail enthusiasts to uh, yeah. to follow along and, and see all the great events and all the great opportunities that they have uh, coming to this market. Yeah, any, Absolutely. Any level of enthusiasm is welcomed. Yeah, and they're they're just great proponents of the of the craft, and I'll be having both Donnie and Brenna on in uh, the coming weeks. We've got some really, we've got some interesting topics. Uh, we're going to talk to Donnie by himself, and I think what we're doing with Brenna is we're going to talk with uh, women in the industry. Mm, so excellent. in different veins of the industry, not just as the bartender, but from the, um, from the distributor side of thing where she is, and hopefully an owner of a business as well. So. Um, we're going to try and tackle it from a couple different directions and I'm going to sit back and shut up and let them talk for most of the time. So I'm looking forward to listening to those. Yeah. yeah. So guys, thanks for stopping over. And, um, you can find me on social media at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram food about town on Facebook. And where can you find black button Jay? Uh, Facebook is black button distilling and, uh, Instagram and Twitter are black button 85. Awesome. Well, Jason Barrett, Luke Thiers, Guys, thanks for stopping over. This was a blast. Great. Thanks thank for you, us. and thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys.